1208. This is Jeff Wecker. Glad to have you with us. Insight 2018 is coming up in nine days. It is a week from Wednesday. We've got a great lineup. It is at the Country Springs Hotel. Ticket sales have been robust. You can go to WTMJ.com. Click on Insight 2018. Um, we're going to be spending quite a bit of time with Governor Scott Walker. And, you know, we're going to ask the governor some of those tough questions. Um, we'll also have appearances by both U.S. Senate candidates. Leah Vukmir will be doing an extensive interview with me earlier that day. We'll have that video. Kevin Nicholson will be there in person. Attorney General Brad Schimmel. It's just, and a lot of other people, Congressman Glenn Grothman's going to be there. Uh, Kathleen O'Leary from the Wisconsin State Fair. Michael Skranek, who is on the ballot. He is the conservative running for state Supreme Court. That election will be, um, well, it's two weeks from tomorrow. Um, the Tuesday after our insight. And again, it's going to be a wonderful thing. And what's best is it's an intimate setting. You get a chance to see newsmakers in a way perhaps that you haven't seen before. So looking forward to seeing a lot of people out there. All right. Three big things coming up in a minute. But I want to start off with this story. There is a high school in New Jersey. I am looking at a copy of their student handbook as we speak. Here's what this provision in the handbook says. In accordance with the Safe Schools Initiative, the Zero Tolerance for Guns Act of 1995, and in a companion chapter, and with the Lacey Township School Board's Zero Tolerance Policy, any student who is reported to be in possession of a weapon of any type for any reason or any purpose whether on or off school grounds during the academic year, shall be disciplined as followed. Long-term suspension, evaluation by the high school child study team, recommendation by the administration to the Board of Education for suspension of at least one year. So, all right, let's go through this again. Any student who is reported to be in possession of a weapon of any type For any reason or purpose, whether on or off school grounds during the academic year, shall be subject to all this heavy-duty discipline. All right? So, obviously, you know, they are concerned with students having access to firearms, bringing the guns to school, etc. All right. So, here's the story. Two kids, two brothers that go to this high school come from a shooting family. Apparently, what happens is the two kids, who, by the way, are straight-A students, go to a private gun range with their parents um, for a day of shooting. So apparently, the, the family owns handguns, the family owns rifles, and what happens is the family has a day where they go, and we're going to go shoot at the range. So the kids, the family, etc., they shoot at a range. Um, somebody takes a, a series of photos of the family out shooting at the range, and one of the kids posts the photo on Snapchat, which shows um, the kids, rifles, ammunition clips, a gun duffel, and the caption says, fun day at the range with the family. Right? So they post it on Snapchat. School officials find out about this and suspend the kids for the two children get suspended for a week because of the guns. 
Now, the school principal is becoming, he's a little bit disingenuous because there's like a district policy and then there's the handbook. And and the language is the same. He's saying, well, we didn't suspend him for the district policy, but I can't tell you why I did, which is presumably because of the handbook or because they created a disruption when they posted the photos of them at the range with the guns. Let's start this off. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I understand that you don't want children bringing guns to school. I understand that we are sensitive after Columbine and Parkland and Sandy Hook, all those things. Get that. But at the same time, this policy says that any time during the school year, on or off school premises, possession of a firearm for any purpose is in violation of school rules and you can be suspended. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this policy? I will tell you, I think it is one of the most ridiculous things I have ever heard. And I think if this is the reason why these kids were suspended, they should be immediately reinstated. They should be apologized to. It is absurd, I think, to tell kids that, no, you can't go to a gun range with mom and dad during the school year because then you're going to be in violation of the policy. To me, this is screamingly unconstitutional. And on top of that, it's just plain dumb as a box of rocks. 414-799-1620. Rules are rules. Or is this an unfair, totally dumb rule and ultimately unenforceable? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. It's twelve fourteen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And yeah, I, I would think if you had a Wisconsin school district that had this rule, that would prohibit children, students, from being able to, say, go deer hunting with their family because it would be possession of a firearm off of school premises for any reason. Okay, we discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, true story. This is policy, this the school handbook in New Jersey. It says specifically that they got a zero-tolerance policy on guns. Any student who is reported to be in possession of a weapon of any type for any reason or purpose, whether on or off school grounds during the academic year, shall be disciplined with suspensions, etc., referral for mental health, etc. So what happens is you've got these two straight-A students who come from a gun-owning family. They and their parents spend the day at the gun range. They own long guns. They own handguns. And they take some pictures that get posted on the Internet of them with the firearms and shooting, etc. These two kids, straight-A students, have now been suspended for a week for violating this policy, which I think is dumb as a box of rocks. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, do, do you believe in bringing guns to school? Well, of course not. But that's not what's going on here. Let's start with Dave and start of it. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I, I realize this is uh, New Jersey, but I'm just thinking of here in the Midwest and even southeastern Wisconsin, uh, you've got the whole hunting factor, <laughs> and you've got uh, many schools have trap shooting clubs. Yep. You know, they're actually 
affiliated with the school, kind of like a bowling team or whatever you might want to call it, you know, but there's, there's trap shooting clubs. So you wouldn't even be able to do that. And that's those are school events. Well, we let, you know, I mean, what, what's the age that we let, we let little kids go and hunt deer, right? I mean, we, isn't that what the latest policy is? You, you know, you can be pretty much what any age and you can go walking through the woods with your own gun, you know, as long as you're supervised. I mean, this, I mean, we have lots of children who shoot off firearms, um, you know, in, under the supervision of their parents. And for every one of those kids, they would be subject to a suspension. Absolutely crazy. No, it is. I mean, thanks. I mean, it, it is. It is crazy. Now, some people might say, well, you know, the only reason the school found out about it is they posted the pictures. Well, people post pictures of stuff all the time. I mean, I guess it's the underlying policy. I understand you don't want kids, you know, bringing guns to school. I understand that if you've got situations where you've got the kids that are posing, you know, in the gangster poses with guns, all right, maybe that's an issue. But they went to a shooting range with mom and dad. Audriana in Milwaukee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Audriana? Yes. Hello. Hi. What do you think? I think it's very unfair. I think it's unjust. I feel like People should be able, you know, children, if they want to go out with their families and if they want to go hunting, I feel like they should be able to do that. I feel like you shouldn't apply what's going on outside of school to school to someone's personal life. You know, someone's personal life and what they're doing, hunting, if they want to go out with their families and if they want to do things, you know, if you have a legal hunting license. Yeah. Why should that affect what you're doing in school and, you know, the academic? And like you said, I understand they're sensitive to certain events that have happened in the past, but I honestly feel like it's a little unjust. It's like telling a kid you can't ride your bike, you know. <laughs> well, no, right, exactly. Sidewalk. No, Audrey, thanks for calling. See, and I, I mean, I mean, one of, look, I mean, I understand that I think that there's things that you do, you could do out of school with firearms, for example, which should translate into in school. I mean, if, I, again, if these were, this is one of these situations where the kids were on a Facebook page and they were posing with handguns and piles of money and, you know, making gang signs or something. I understand why maybe the school would want to get involved in something like that. But that's, but that's not what this turned out to be at all. Again, the school is saying, well, we didn't suspend them for violating the, 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 the policy, the district policy, but they're not talking about the handbook. And if the justification is, well, they, they created a disruption when they put these photos up on the Internet, well, the underlying thing is there was nothing wrong with them doing that in the first place. Um, and again, the, the school districts, you know, this rule in and of itself to me, it's just, it's incredibly overbroad. Let's talk to Dwayne in Menominee Falls. Dwayne, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello there. I think that's really, really silly. That's infringement upon your Second Amendment right mm -hmm. to use those pictures of your family to promote, um, what, the USA and how good it is here? Well, or just any, I mean, this, this, I mean, how many people, you know, you, you go out and you, you do something as a family for the, the weekend. Hey, you know, we're, this was the birthday party or this is our picnic or this is us, you know, at, at the lake feeding the ducks or fishing or whatever. You take these pictures, you put them up on the internet. There's, why, why is going to a gun range with your parents any different than that? Well, it's like this. It's a good old American tradition. It's not porn. It's not illegal. Right. 
Right, exactly. We had pictures. This is show and tell, and it shouldn't be against the rules to show and tell what you do with your family, which helps shape the rest of your life, because you're doing it responsibly. Well, well exactly. I mean, thanks, because, look, I mean, I understand what, what the idea is. We, we don't want kids bringing guns to school. We all agree with that. We don't want kids off hours you know, behaving in irresponsible fashions with firearms. So we're going to try to use school rules to try to punish them. I, I get that. I mean, it's not like, well, we're going to be talking about this later on. Washington High School lost in the finals with the guy who was scoring 29 points a game who was going to be sentenced in two weeks after getting convicted of a felony. Okay, so that, that I mean, think about it like that. In Milwaukee... You can get convicted of a felony involving a firearm, and you can continue to play basketball. In New Jersey, you go to a gun range with your parents, take some pictures of that, and you get suspended. I mean, you want to talk about just a a, a screwed up, screwed up policy. It's 1223. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, three big things. President Trump in the news all weekend. Stick around. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, a Trump-affiliated firm is now under scrutiny for inappropriately obtaining data from 50 million Facebook users. What does this mean for you? Gene Miller has the latest at 7.51 a.m. tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Please be sure to tune in. All right. Um, Never a dull moment in in Washington, D.C. A lot of things coming together over the weekend. President Trump is clearly, clearly, clearly frustrated that the Robert Mueller Russia collusion investigation is now becoming as broad as it is, way beyond, I think, what the, at least initially was envisioned. And that's pretty much always ha- what happens when you have special counsels or special investigators. So very, very broad. I think he's irritated with the notion that um, now they're starting to issue subpoenas to his business entities. And I think he's frustrated that, hey, this has been something that has dogged his investigation from the beginning. So I think he's at no love lost with him and Robert Mueller. You know, on top of that, you have the ongoing war with James Comey and with the other parts of the intelligence community. So um, what happens? It starts off on Friday where the president ends up, uh, well, it's actually, it was Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, but with the blessing of the president, fired FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. And McCabe was one of the leakers. He was one of the guys that was, I think, pretty clearly funneling information um, about the investigation to the media. McCabe was due to retire in two days um, he was fired before his retirement took into effect, so it, it cost him money on his pension. Trump applauds that. McCabe goes on the offensive, says, hey, you know, Trump's not going to like when I tell my story. James Comey, the former FBI director, he says, okay, the truth is going to come out. People are going to see who the liar is. So you have this ongoing war that just kind of explodes. President Trump's lawyer is calling for an end to the Russia investigation, essentially saying enough is enough, put up or shut up. You've got Republicans who are saying, well, we think we should allow this to go on. You've got Democrats who are saying, oh, this is like the Saturday night massacre. It means it's getting close to Trump. And and again, the entire thing ends up being a huge distraction for the reason that people, you know, the, the people got elected, which is to, again, try to improve the lot of people in this country. But. Important thing is, 
Now, I mean, President Trump's lawyer, and you know this would not be happening without the blessing of the president, is saying it's time to end this investigation once and for all. And that could mean directing that Robert Mueller be fired. Now, a lot of people, like I say, are are very uncomfortable with that. But this whole thing has started to ratchet up. So let's tee this up. Big story number one from over the weekend, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Has this Russia investigation gone far enough? And the revelations that now Robert Mueller is apparently subpoenaing Trump business interests pretty much give a clear indication that this investigation, at least from his perspective, isn't going to be ending anytime soon. My guess is this will drag on several more months because you issue these subpoenas, you get records. It then takes a long time to try to analyze those. Has this gone on far enough? Is this a witch hunt? Has it gone way past what it was originally intended to be? And is it time once and for all, if Mueller isn't going to wrap up the investigation, for the president to direct that he be fired? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you like to see this whole thing over? And if it's not going to be over for a while, is it time for Trump to take matters into his own hands and direct the firing of the special counsel? 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Giannis and the Bucks head to the rock and roll capital of the world to face King James and the Cavs. Ted Davis is on the call, and he gets you set for tip-off from Cleveland, starting with Buck Shots. It is at 540 this evening. All right, over the weekend, all you know what broke loose. You had um, the attorney general who made the decision to fire the assistant FBI director two days before he was scheduled to take his full retirement. That made people's heads explode. He says, well, I've got the goods. I'm, I'm going to tell my story. James Comey, the fired FBI director, launches back at President Trump. He sends out a bunch of tweets. That would be President Trump talking about how corrupt and crooked Comey was and McCabe was. That's the FBI assistant director. Meanwhile, you've got the Trump lawyer saying enough is enough. It is time for the Mueller investigation to end, which, again, has heads exploding as well. Doesn't appear that there's any end in sight to the Mueller investigation This is not good for the country, but does that mean the president should intervene and fire or have the special counsel fired? Ryan in Oconomowoc. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, This is, I mean, this is an extremely interesting topic, right? Um, But I I think, um, I I don't get it. I don't know why he he, he keeps railing against. Mueller and, and trying to get this thing stopped. It, well, I mean, I'll tell you why, because wrong. he's, I, I tell you why, because he's frustrated. He's like, this, this well, is, this is, occup- I mean, that's why he, he, it's like, oh my God, yeah. you know, this started off, did I collude with the Russians? I didn't collude with the Russians, but now they're issuing subpoenas to all my business entities, and this is right. this far ranging thing. That's why he's that's upset. How, that's how these things work, though. I mean, I think we've, we've seen this happen historically. I mean, this happened just, what was that, 20 years ago with uh, President Clinton with the Whitewater investigation. That took, if I remember correctly, that took like 20 or eight, eight plus years for that well, investigation. Well, I mean, well, let's getting... let's stay closer to home. I mean, let's let look at the ultimately failed John Doe investigation right. launched yeah. by the Milwaukee DA. That went years and would probably still be going on if it didn't get shut down by the courts. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing with this. Though. I mean, we're talking about a foreign country, too. I would imagine the logistics of putting together an investigation like this are a little different, you know, than, than pulling someone's bank record. Right. This is a pretty insane Thing. And I think I just don't understand why why he thinks I mean, does why why does President Trump think that if he just stops this, that would just be 
the end of it. Well, right. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, um, to to stop this, to stop this, and again, even if there's not collusion, I mean, I think you know mm-hmm. now some of the theories that they're operating on is, gee, when he fired James Comey, um, you know, was that an effort to obstruct justice, to kind of block the probe, firing uh, the special counsel or having the special counsel um, fire would would simply add fuel to that fire, no question about it. Yeah, he just needs to sit back and let let it play out a little bit instead of every other day railing out against yeah. you know what's going on because it's not it's not going to stop. I mean, he can he can go ahead and fire whoever he wants, uh, but that's not gonna that's not gonna end well for him. I really don't believe it. No, see, Ryan, and I, I by the way, I, I actually do agree with you. That this is one I understand why why the president would be frustrated. And and I understand there's some people who think the president can do no wrong, and there's some people who actually hate him. But let us imagine that, you know, you are the president of the United States, and and you didn't collude with the Russians. You you didn't. But you see this aggressive prosecutor who's now, you know, going after, you know, all sorts of avenues beyond the collusion. You know, was this obstruction of justice? Did this person... You know, make a false statement to the FBI, all that type of stuff, which is typical in these kind of investigations. And meanwhile, you're trying to accomplish the business of the country. And every day there's one of these different, you know, you know, wedding matches that is broken out. I understand the frustration. Having said that, um, you know, the president clearly contributes to that. The decision to fire Andrew McCabe two days before he was due to get his full pension is something that, again, throws gasoline onto the fire. I think Andrew McCabe was the leaker. I mean, I think he probably violated a number of internal rules. But at this point in time, when you're two days away from, and, you know, and they, as a result, you know, they, they had kind of, you know, ended up having him ride the bench with the idea that he was going to retire when he got his time in to make the decision to fire him two days before he was scheduled to retire, guarantees that for people who view this whole thing and Trump's response as being inappropriate or evidence of wrongdoing, all that does is throw fuel onto the fire. I think this is one of these things where you've just, and I understand it's tough, but you got to back off and let the investigation go where it goes. Here's the other practical matter as well. There is... A possibility. I'm not saying it's a likelihood, too soon to tell, but there is a possibility, given the way all the various special elections have gone, that this could in fact be a Democrat wave in 2018. And you, you know, it is possible that you could have Democrats retaking the U.S. Senate and retaking the House of Representatives. Now, my gut tells me that's still not going to happen, but, I mean, I've seen wave elections on both sides of them, and this is shaping up to be a wave. And once it's a wave, you you never know when that wave is going to stop. If that is the case, impeachment comes to the table. And if you've got a majority of the – if the Democrats are in control of both the Senate and the House of Representatives – Impeachment becomes an issue if you fired the special counsel. I'm just throwing that out there. So it's kind of a very dangerous sort of high stakes game. And I just think, again, this is one of these situations where the president would be well advised to just let it play. Taking on James Comey, who's already been fired, taking on Andrew McCabe, doing these types of things, having your lawyer go out and rip on, you know, Mueller. 
it, it plays well perhaps to the base, but ultimately I don't think it necessarily advances where we're trying to go as a country. Just saying. All right. Big story number two is coming up. Do MPS teachers, at least to the teachers union, really care about educating the kids? It is a provocative question that I want to discuss with you. First, as we have been saying, Insight 2018 is a week from Wednesday. Country Springs Hotel ticket sales have been robust, but we want to have a lot of people there. I have a pair of tickets to join me and Governor Scott Walker and Attorney General Brad Schimmel, the Republican Senate candidates, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, doors open at 5.30. The show starts at 6.30. I have a pair of tickets to give away to somebody who would like to join us at the Country Springs Hotel. Rue, let's give it to caller number 10, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller number 10 wins a pair of tickets Week from Wednesday, March 28th, to join us at the Country Springs Hotel. It's 1242. This is Jeff Wagner. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just heard that ad for Leah Vukmir. Um, she will be joining me um, at Insight. We're going to sit down earlier that day for an extensive interview that we will show. Kevin Nicholson, her GOP challenger, is there in person at the Country Springs Hotel. We've given away our pair of tickets to Insight for today. We'll be giving away tickets all week. But don't let that stop you. It's only 25 bucks. It's going to be a great evening. Get a chance to see a number of people up close and personal. Watch the radio show being made. So uh, the Country Springs Hotel, a week from Wednesday. Tickets on sale now at WTMJ.com. WTMJ is also giving you the opportunity to see Captain Kirk himself. This Saturday, the Paps Theater is screening Star Trek Wrath of Khan with William Shatner. And you can win tickets right here. Tune into my program all week for your chance to win a pair of tickets. So sometime between now and 3 o'clock, we'll also be giving away a pair of tickets to see William Shatner and the Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. I guess it's the first time that he's done this. They're going to screen the movie, and then he's going to tell all sorts of stories and stuff. I um, I was a Star Trek fan, and... I remember the first one just was awful. The first Star Trek movie was awful. And then Wrath of Khan. But what I still remember where I saw the theater. There used to be a movie theater at the old um, River Point. They used to call it Brownport on the corner of Port Washington and Brown Deer Road. I can remember going there and got there kind of late, sat in the front row and watched the movie. But, yeah, just it's great. So William Shatner coming into town. All right, big story number two. And does the teachers' union really give a rat's rump? about educating kids in Milwaukee. Now, these are two stories that are coming together. North Division High School. And there was a story in the newspaper over the weekend written by Alan Borsuk, is one of, by any objective measures, the worst high schools in the country. Let me linger, let that linger out there. We're not talking about the one of the worst high schools in MPS, or one of the worst high schools in southeastern Wisconsin or Wisconsin, North Division High School is one of the worst high schools in the country. Well, how, how can you say that? Well, let's look at some numbers. All right, for the 2016-2017 school year, daily attendance was 62%. That means on any given day, Almost four out of every ten kids who were supposed to be in school were not in school. That's just, that, that's unbelievable. I mean, four out of ten kids not there. Graduation rate for the school year, 
For kids graduating after four years of high school, the graduation rate was 31%. 31%. So three out of every 10 kids graduate after four years. Uh, the state report card for the school issued last fall. This is, you're, you're going to think that I have misspoken. 7.5% of juniors who took the ACT test required by the state were proficient in language arts. That's English. No, 7.5%. That means 92.5%. 92% of the kids who took the ACT test flunked. 92%. You would think that just randomly, you know, by just guessing at things, you could get 20% that passed. 7.5%. It gets worse. The number of students taking the ACT as juniors who were proficient in math. All right. Gru, who is producing the show today and always. English, 7.5% proficient, which means 92% were not proficient. That's English. All right. The language of this country. All right. Math. What would be your guess? What percentage of students were proficient in math? Go ahead, guess. Six percent. Six percent, because you figure that, again, just statistically, you could come in and fill in the little boxes, and statistically, six out of a 100 would fill in enough boxes correct to be proficient, right? No. Zero. Zero. Not one single kid taking the ACT test. Not one single kid, not one, was proficient in math. The percentage of students whose scores were below basic, the lowest category, 80% in language, 87.5% in math. Enrollment, no kidding, because, you know, the, the school is such a disaster. Enrollment has fallen in each of the last four years. Um, it was listed, the school is designed to handle over a 1,000. Um, it's down to 354 at the start of this school year. But, of course, out of that 354, 40% on any given day isn't going to be there. So, I mean, the place is, is empty. The state report card uh, score for the school, it scored 22 on a scale of 100. It ranked 333rd out of 335 schools um, of all Milwaukee County that received scores. 333 out of 335. Two small, small voucher scores had lower scores. But other than these two small voucher schools, um, North Division High School is the worst. It is the worst of the worst. Um, and Okay, so so here you have this problem. It is clearly, and you know, I don't want to argue about why it's failing, but I think by any objective standard, it it is failing, and it is probably a school that you know you need to have something drastic done to. All right, so into this walks former Milwaukee superintendent of schools Howard Fuller, who has been a, a longtime school choice advocate. So Fuller right now has a charter school, and. North Division, like I say, it's built for a thousand. 
You've got um, 300 kids, 360 kids that are there now, but on any given day, 40% of those are gone. So, okay, Fuller runs a successful, a successful charter school. What he wants to do, the lease on the building where his school is, is running up. So he says, here's what I want to do. I want to move my school into all this vacant space that you have at North Division. And, you know, we'll, we're educating our kids, but let us, let us use this space here. And I mean, quite candidly, my guess is that maybe some of the parents, um, would see that the parents, if any of them do care about educating their kids, would say, hey, instead of sending our kids to this failing thing that is North Division, you know, same location, you know, we've got this charter school that is succeeding. So anyhow, he, he wants to, relocate the charter school into the semi-vacant uh, North Division. Uh, the superintendent of schools, Darian Driver, she's she's fine with that, but the teachers' union is not. The teachers' union said, this is a takeover plan. This is nothing but a plan. It's a Trojan horse to try to close down North Division High School, which, by the way, if you cared about the kids, closing down North Division High School would be a blessing. And then they say, this is a threat to traditional public schools that are already being diminished. Families, children in the community in Milwaukee have had more than enough of this 25-year private school experiment with black and brown children, the secretary of the Milwaukee Teachers Union told supporters. Whatever funding we have left is being funneled to private voucher and charter schools. It's past time to stop with the experimentation and invest in public schools that meet the needs of all children in Milwaukee. Well, here's the bottom line. North Division is a public school that doesn't meet the needs of anybody except maybe some of the teachers that are collecting money to teach the kids that decide to show up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I cannot think of a more blatant example of a public school which is completely and totally failing, which should be shut down. And then you couple that with the arrogance of the teachers union who says, well, how, how dare we allow a charter school to come in and actually kind of compete with us? Because obviously, you know, we want to continue doing the same crappy job that we have been doing for decades, making sure that nobody around here gets educated. I think this is an appalling position for the teachers union to take. And it's a clear example of why, at least at the union boss level, they don't care about the kids at all. They care about preserving their salaries and their benefits. If they cared about the kids, they would embrace this proposal. 414-799-1620. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 12:58. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. North Division High School is a complete and total embarrassment. But what is even more embarrassing is that you have the teachers' union which has decided to say, despite the fact that this building is grossly underused, despite the fact that we are doing a crummy job, for whatever reason, of educating kids, how dare you even consider moving a charter school into this because, hey, maybe that means that some of those kids that are failing here might go to the charter school and might succeed. No, 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 that might cost us some of our jobs. All we want to do is continue doing this failing thing. No proficiency in math, 7.5% in English, a 30% graduation rate, 40% of the kids gone on any given base day, and that is good enough 
for the teachers at MPS, or at least for the teachers' union, this is a classic example of where all the good, hardworking teachers who teach for the Milwaukee public school system should rise up against their union bosses and say, you know what, you know, we need, we need to educate kids. We don't need to be more concerned with the politics of this or trying to, I don't know, protect cushy jobs or whatever. We're failing. We need to change it. But don't hold your breath. All right. Tom Barrett says Milwaukee is a safe city. That's big story number three. Did he watch the news over the weekend? We'll discuss. It's 1259. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, big story number three. Tom Barrett. Tom Barrett's still peddling the idea that, um, gee, Milwaukee is a safe city. And, and look, to be fair, there are areas of the city of Milwaukee which are, are safe. But there are large swaths of the city of Milwaukee that aren't. And part of the problem is a lot of the Milwaukee crime is now starting to spread to the, the suburbs. For example... I have in my hands, and I do not intend this to be an exhaustive list, but um, over the weekend, I just started accumulating a couple stories. Okay, here, here's one. Two men were killed, two shot and killed, late Thursday night on Milwaukee's north side. Two men were killed in a shooting about 11.25 p.m. Thursday in the 4200 block of North 27th Street, police said. The victims, a 20-year-old and a 34-year-old, died at the scene. A few hours later, a driver crashed into a squad car at the scene, and two officers suffered um, life-threatening uh, threatening injuries that were not life-threatening. I don't know what that means. The driver stayed on the scene and will, in fact, be cited. So, all right, so you got that. You've got the two dead, 27th and Roosevelt. That was Thursday night. MPD is still working to determine the circumstances that led up to the shooting. Um, investigation is ongoing. All right, so that's that's Thursday night. A Milwaukee woman on her way home from work was mugged on Milwaukee's east side on Wednesday, March 14th. While the suspects took her belongings, she was able to get something of theirs. Uh, the lady was leaving work around 2.45 a.m. near Brady Street and Farwell Avenue. I noticed this car parked idling at the side of the road with its lights on. I thought it was a little mysterious, but I just kept going. Um, the women came out of the car, asked me if they could have some gas money. I said, I'm sorry, no. Next woman got out and said, um, they approached me. I had this bad feeling. I kept walking. They started following me. They asked to use her phone. Um, then they pulled the, her hair. Both of them started attacking me. She was screaming, help, help. They're robbing me. Um, I felt my purse get pulled. The purse straps broke. And then they started back in their vehicle. Um, she was able to keep her phone and take a picture of the license plate. But here, you know, on the Tony East side, this woman walking home from work, she ends up getting mugged. So you've got that going on. Let's see. Uh, today's TMJ4 reporting. Um, Milwaukee police are investigating several shootings throughout the city on Friday evening and early Saturday morning. According to police, between 6.30 p.m. on March 16th and 3.05 a.m. on March 17th, their office responded to four shootings in Milwaukee. All of the shooting victims suffered non-life-threatening injuries, nobody in custody. 
Um, 6.30 p.m. on March 16th, 2300 block of West Nash. A 23-year-old man was found with a gunshot wound. Um, 8.30 p.m., police responded to another male suffering a gunshot wound in the 5800 block of West Silver Spring. man was shot after being confronted by a suspect. Four in custody after fight on I-43 following crash. 2 a.m., several shots were filed into the vehicle of a male on the 2500 block of West Clybourne. He was taken to the hospital. Another shooting that people believe may have been a robbery happened around 3.05 a.m. in the 1500 block of South 3rd Street. Let's see. That da, 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 da. 25-year-old woman suffered serious injuries Friday after walking into traffic on West Capitol Drive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You get the idea. And and this is this is just a snapshot of the police blotter over the last couple days. Whenever I talk about crime in Milwaukee, I always get this note that says, "Okay, well, you know, you you don't understand." It's really not that bad. Most of Milwaukee is safe. It is just that there is a perception that of crime, and you feed into that perception. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand the, the argument that says perception is reality, and if people begin to believe something is true, that then becomes the truth. Okay, I, I get that. But when it comes to crime in the city of Milwaukee, I don't think it is a question of perception. I think it is a question of reality. And that is, the reality is that in large parts of this city, it is a very, very dangerous place to be. Now, I understand, you know, some of the areas downtown, no. Some various neighborhoods, and you can pick pockets, but at the same, pick pockets in neighborhoods, but at the same time, you know, here you got a woman walking the streets on the east side, and she's getting mugged. So let's tee this up. Is Milwaukee getting a bad rap? Is it merely a perception that it's dangerous? Or is this the reality in 2018, a reality that many, many, many local politicians refuse to accept? Oh, heaven forbid, we had contractors who came in to work on properties and they were carrying guns. This is awful. Instead of dealing with why do you think the contractors were carrying guns in the first place? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I don't, I don't see this as a perception. I see this as a reality. And I see the reality as being crime in Milwaukee spreading more and more to the suburbs as well. Let's start with Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, good afternoon. Hi, uh, Jeff. My name is Brian. I'm in law enforcement, but I'm also a city of Milwaukee resident. I live in the Jackson Park area. Okay. I think the city is off the hook with crime. And, and I think it. And I used to work in the uh, in the uh, in the um, county courts as far as the bailiff with the, uh, the the judges out at Children's, and they're part of the problem. They let these kids off with a slap on the wrist. They're more worried about how many books these kids read rather than any kind of stiff crimes. And I just I think that the mayor is part of the problem as well. That he needs to get his head out of you know where and start responding every time there's a crime or a crime scene in Milwaukee. He needs to be held accountable and show up at that scene. I think he would get real tired real quick. Well, and again, I, I, I hate to pick on Barrett too much because there, there's only so much that he can do. But what does bother me, Brian, is this this lack of recognition that there is that there is a problem, you know, in 
a good portion of the communities. Yeah, I mean, is Summerfest safe? Of course it is. Is that immediate downtown area generally safe? Yes, it is. But, you know, tell that to the people that are getting shot on 58th and Silver Spring or the people that are getting mugged, you know, as they try to go from grocery store to grocery store. It's a huge issue. I think, and also, I mean, it's an embarrassment when you tell people where you're from. And it's not just the city of Milwaukee, because as the city goes, so goes the suburbs. So it's spreading to Greendale, it's spreading. Well, yeah, no, thanks. I'm sorry, I think we lost you. Yeah, I mean, you're, it, it's right, exactly, because what you see happening, is, and I, look, and I, I'm not suggesting that there, aren't, there aren't, that there aren't some homegrown criminals in the suburbs, but how often when we have these stories of carjacking or the car thefts that are happening in, suburba, in suburbia, how often is it that, okay, well, the people that end up getting arrested are the, the 16-year-old kids from Milwaukee who are spreading out looking for more targets of opportunity. Now, don't tell me that this is a perception. This is a reality, and you've got to come to that conclusion, and you've got to recognize that before you can deal with it. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's talk to um, Mike in Port Washington. Mike, good afternoon. How are you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you, sir. I do believe uh, it is reality. I live in Milwaukee in an area over by Enders Park that we've lived there for quite a while. And it is it used to be a neighborhood that you could count on to be a very safe neighborhood because it was always people that worked in Milwaukee that had to live in Milwaukee would live there. Mm-hmm. Very nice houses, but we're at the point we're trying to sell so bad because we want out. Yeah. The carjacking a block away from our house, an old man getting beat up. It was just, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. It, it, the city is going down so fast. The entire city, even the areas that were good, are getting bad. Well, and, 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 yeah, and that's it. I mean, I just, I guess I'm just kind of stunned by these stories, Mike, about, for example, when, when people leave their car running unattended. And I, I understand that that's a bad idea and people shouldn't do it. But these stories that you leave it unattended for a minute, two minutes, and, and, and it's gone. I mean, there's just people right. driving up and down the streets looking to find one of those cars to, to steal. And, and, and it's just not happenstance. It's just, that tells me that the criminal element really is starting to take over the streets. Exactly. And like I said, we're getting out. We've had enough. We're going to lose money on the house, but we don't care. We well, want out. Well, no, th- I mean, th- I mean that, that gets to be a certain factor. And I mean, I and again, I, I want to be fair here. There are there are areas of the city of Milwaukee that I think are, are perfectly safe. I don't I mean, you, you, you go downtown. I, I go downtown to the Water Street area all the time. You walk around the streets. You don't feel unsafe down you don't feel unsafe down there, but I will tell you, there's a lot of areas of the city, and this is coming from somebody who grew up in southeastern Wisconsin. I, I mean, I have I have changed my travel patterns. There are areas of the city. Let's say I wanted to go from, you know, when I when I was living in the North Shore, wanted to go from there out to Brookfield or whatever. Well, okay, we don't need to take the freeway. Let's take streets. Well, all right, I. I think twice about making that decision nowadays, again, because of just the random violence. And God forbid you should stop at a gas station on whatever and, you know, where 28th and whatever, because you never know when somebody's going to come up and stick you up, particularly if you're a single female. I mean, you really are creating a target of opportunity. Let's talk to Ron on the west side. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, as I told you, screener, I'm a retired cop uh, from a suburban 
apartments not in Milwaukee County, but I moved into the city of Milwaukee not long after I retired. Oh. And I live in a nice area. I live between Miller Park and the State Fair. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I shop in West Dallas, uh, National Avenue, and in the parking lot there. At noon on a Saturday, there was a car jet. Noon on like, Saturday. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I go, uh, and, and you're reading a paper uh, up on uh, in Tosa in the nicer areas, and uh, there's carjackings. There was a series of them. Yep. And for a dozen years, uh, I didn't have a concealed carry permit or didn't, didn't carry at all. And three, four years ago, I decided it's time to do it. I'm 70 years old now. Sometimes I walk with a cane. Sometimes I don't. But uh, I look vulnerable, I suppose. I won't walk my dog around the block at night without a gun in my pocket. Really, and yeah. and, and and that's you know that that's such an unfortunate thing. I understand why you feel you have to do that, but I mean, yeah. you moved into the city. You made the choice after living outside the city for all those years. You move in there, and now you're in a situation where you got to carry a gun to walk your dog in the evening. Yeah, I. Uh, it's, it's too bad. I, there's many things about Milwaukee I like. Mm-hmm. But anybody that says it's a safe city, wrong. Yeah, no, no, I don't believe that. No, right. Th- thanks for calling. Again, there there are safe areas. No, no question about it. But th- this is, see, this is the issue, and it's one of the reasons I talk about it a lot. Is the issue that the politicians don't want to confront because it, it requires call. It sometimes it requires political incorrectness. They don't want to do that. It requires calling people out for failures of policy, and it requires candidly locking people up, which is not what liberals want to do. Oh, you know, we have to find other alternatives. But the truth is, it's it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. If you say, look, the, the cause, one of the root causes of crime is poverty. Okay, all right. You know, people don't have good jobs, etc., so they turn to these other sort of things. If you, if you want to... If you want to say that, that's fine. So, okay, where do the jobs come from? Well, it comes from people investing their money into communities. A guy saying, "Hey, my, my producer grew saying, you know what? I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to start a widget store, and I've got this money, and I'm looking as for where I'm going to start my widget store. Well, okay, I, I think that there would be a market for my widget store in the you know whatever you know pick some corner in the city of Milwaukee. But the problem is. You know, that's a crime-ridden area, and I don't want my employees getting robbed. I don't want people being afraid to go in and buy my widgets. So you know what? I'm going to spend my money, and I'm going to go somewhere else. That That's the thing. You don't solve poverty. You don't create jobs unless you get control of crime, and we are doing a lousy job of that. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I have to tell you... I am, in a way, I am glad that Washington, Milwaukee, Washington High School lost in the finals of the State 2, Division 2 Boys Basketball Tournament this weekend. And I'll tell you why. It's because, and we have talked about this before, one of the players, the star on Washington's team, the kid that averaged like 29 points a game, is a convicted felon. Last summer, he was involved. He and a gang of other people were involved in an armed robbery of a sandwich delivery driver, um, a carjacking, and various other misbehavior. Um, okay, tell you what, we're going to 
President Trump is talking about the opioid crisis. We're going to dip into that, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, the WIA. Stick around. Here's the president. I have to tell you, there was nobody tougher on Trump at the beginning. It's true. There was nobody on television tougher. And then we met each other, and we liked each other, and he went from the worst to the best. Governor, thank you. I mean that, too. Thank you. I want to thank also Attorney General Sessions and Secretary, thank you, Jeff, Secretary Azar, Secretary Nielsen, and Surgeon General Adams for joining us at this very important event. The First Lady and I just visited the Manchester Fire Department safe station, talking about it all over the country. The Fire Chief, Dan Goonan, and all of the first responders with us today, thank you. You've been incredible, and you're saving American lives. We're also joined by a number of law enforcement officers who we love. Our police, DEA, ICE, Border Patrol agents, and customs officers work night and day to keep drugs out of our communities and criminals off of our streets. So today we thank you. We honor you, and we want you to know that we will always have your backs 100%. Thank you very much. Law enforcement, thank you. I especially want to acknowledge all of the families with us today who have endured terrible hardships because of the opioid crisis, and especially those who have lost precious loved ones. I've been saying this for a long time. And it all started right here in New Hampshire, because I see what you're going through. About as bad as there is anywhere in the country. And I said I'd be back, and we are back. And we're pouring a lot of money and a lot of talent into this horrible problem. And we pledge to honor the memory of those you lost with action and determination and resolve. We'll get it. We will not rest until the end. And I will tell you, this scourge of drug addiction in America will stop. It will stop. Every day, 116 Americans die from an opioid-related overdose. In New Hampshire, the overdose, really, death rate. I mean, can you believe this? The death rate is double the national average. It's got difficulties like people wouldn't believe. Defeating this epidemic will require the commitment of every state, local, and federal agency. Failure is not an option. Addiction is not our future. We will liberate our country from this crisis. Never been like this. Hundreds of years, never been like this. And we will raise a drug-free generation of American children. Last October, we declared the opioid crisis a public health emergency. Should have been done a long time before. Since then, we've worked with Congress to ensure at least $6 billion additional dollars going through right now in new funding in 2018 and 2019 to combat the opioid crisis. And we uh, will be spending the most money ever on the opioid crisis. 
On our most recent national prescription drug take-back day, people across the country turned in more than 900,000 pounds of unused or expired prescription drugs, more than the weight of three Boeing 757s. Our custom and border protection and these people, the job they do is incredible. Seized nearly 1,500 pounds of fentanyl last year, nearly three times the amount seized in 2016. And I told China, don't send it. And I told Mexico, don't send it. Don't send it. In 2017, ICE arrested criminal aliens with 76,000 charges and convictions for dangerous drug crimes. Last year, the Department of Justice prosecuted more than 3,000 defendants in cases involving opioid, all of the trafficking and the related crimes, 3,000 cases, including a pharmacist, a physician's assistant, and an opioid trafficker, each charged with committing serious drug crimes in New Hampshire. Whether you are a dealer or doctor or trafficker or a manufacturer, if you break the law and illegally peddle these deadly poisons, we will find you, we will arrest you, and we will hold you accountable. Here in New Hampshire, I applaud all of the drug enforcement agents and law enforcement officers who recently coordinated Operation Granite Shield, an 18-hour enforcement action targeting drug traffickers that resulted in the arrest of 151 people. These are terrible people, and we have to get tough on those people because we can have all the blue ribbon committees we want, but if we don't get tough, on the drug dealers, we're wasting our time. Just remember that. We're wasting our time. And that toughness includes the death penalty. You know, it's an amazing thing. Some of these drug dealers will kill thousands of people during their lifetime. Thousands of people. And destroy many more lives than that. But they will kill thousands of people during their lifetime. And they'll get caught and they'll get 30 days in jail. Or they'll go away for a year. Or they'll be fined. And yet if you kill one person, you get the death penalty or you go to jail for life. So if we're not going to get tough on the drug dealers who kill thousands of people and destroy so many people's lives, we are just doing the wrong thing. We have got to get tough. This isn't about nice anymore. This isn't about committees. This isn't about let's get everybody. That's out. President Trump um, talking about the, the opioid crisis and uh, talking about how much money has been put in over the last year to try to fight it and renewing 
a previous call to start looking at the death penalty for certain types of drug dealers. Be interesting to see how Congress responds to that. Okay, when we come back, we'll continue to monitor uh, the president's press conference, and we'll have more for you about that at the top of the hour. When we come back, I, I do want to talk about whether or not it's time for the WIAA member schools to get their acts together. Stick around. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Vladimir Putin rolls to victory and wins a fourth term in office as Russia's president. What impact does this have here in the United States? John and Melissa explore 334 this afternoon on Wisconsin's um, afternoon news. All right. Now, we talked about this in a couple contexts earlier while this story was breaking. Um, Milwaukee Washington High School had a star basketball player. Kid scores almost 30 points a game. He is also now a convicted felon. Last summer, he and other friends of his was involved in an, were involved in an armed robbery of a delivery driver, a carjacking, etc. Um, he was charged. The matter pended in the court system and in January he was convicted. He is now a convicted felon. Um, Washington High School did not have a problem with a convicted felon playing on the basketball team. And so he um, apparently violated some academic rules. So he was suspended for part of the uh, cross-country season, but then was able to play basketball. My point is, and I've been making this argument, that if he wasn't the start on the team and, and didn't average 29 points a game, I, I, I believe he would have been treated differently, but he was the star. So he was allowed to play. This created a lot of controversy because Washington made the decision they were going to let him play. The WIAA, um, which is, of course, the, the governing body, they, while obsessive with rules, washed their hands of the whole thing. They said, well, we just don't have a rule against it. You know, if our member organizations wanted to have a rule, you know, we they, they could make a rule, but they don't. So, you know, we, we, we don't care. We don't, you know, it's fine. There's nothing that stops a convicted felon from participating in high school sports. So, all right, now the question becomes, the, the state basketball tournament is over. So now it's not a matter that would be perceived as being against any one particular kid. But now member schools in the WIAA have a chance to, in my opinion, stand up and do the right thing, which is to say, if you are convicted of a felony in high school, and that's pretty tough to do, because keep in mind, high school kids, most of them are going to get shuffled off to juvenile court to begin with. So you got to work to do something that's going to get you convicted of a felony. But in my opinion, if you are convicted of a felony, particularly a crime of violence, but I would argue any felony, that should be immediately disqualifying for any sort of extracurricular activities. What sort of message does it send to other athletes that, hey, you know, you can get in trouble for smoking a cigarette, or you can get in trouble if you go to a party and there's some beer, but... Here, stick a gun in somebody's face, manage to stay out on bail, and you get to play basketball. So, again, I, I want to take now the Washington High School situation out of it. Let's just talk about moving forward. Is it time for the WIAA, which has rules governing almost everything, to adopt a rule which simply says convicted felons lose their eligibility to participate in sports? 
414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You almost wouldn't think you have to ask that question, but you do. Because I will tell you, I get the sense that because... Because schools care more about winning titles in many respects than they care about, I don't know, making statements about right and wrong, I don't get the sense that there's too much impetus on the schools to say, no, we don't want to allow felons to participate. All right, should this be a change? Should we have to go through in the future what happened this year? Or if you get convicted, and again, I'm talking convicted, this isn't just charged. In the case of the Washington kid, he was convicted in January. Forget innocent until proven guilty. If you are convicted of a felony, should you lose your eligibility for high school sports? 414-799-1620. We discuss. It's 152. This is Jeff Wagner. 155. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, put put aside the debacle with Washington High School. Um, WIAA said, well, okay, the kid's a felon. We don't have any rules. Well, now against against this. Okay, well, so now now it's the basketball season is over. Moving forward, should the WIAA, and this is the member of schools, adopt a rule that says if you are convicted of a felony, particularly a felony involving a crime of violence, you lose your eligibility to play sports. I think it's a no-brainer. Clayton in Milwaukee. Clayton, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Clayton. Yeah, as far as I can see, he gave up his rights when he decided to do this heinous crime. He had every right to say, no, I don't want to do this. But he chose the wrong path, so he forfeited his rights. Just like a convict that he, you know, put to prison, he loses his rights to vote. Well, Mm-hmm. What well, makes this guy think he's better than anybody else? That well, I, I was predicted, but I want to go play basketball. Well, right, and I, and again, I mean, th- see, I mean, you will never convince me that that the, the, that this would this issue come up if a player wasn't a star. I mean, if this was a kid that sat on the end of the bench who was convicted of party to a crime of armed robbery. And again, I say convicted. We're past the innocent until proven guilty. Do you think that any coach would have tolerated? Of course not. They would have said, you're off the team. I mean, we toss people off the teams for, you know, smoking or being at a party where people are drinking beer. And, and that that's all well and good. But this is a crime of violence that someone is convicted of. And, and to me, it's just, it's a simple sort of no-brainer. If you want to have, if you say you're going to have standards, I mean, let's let's have standards. Nancy and Kokana. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Good morning or good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Nancy. It's your team. Your team beat Washington, as I recall, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> Very proud. My my, I agree with you. The kids should have not played on the team, no matter what. If he was there at the right time or at the wrong time at the right place, whatever. Um, it wouldn't be any different. Then um, when I was in high school up there, the whole football team got suspended because they were caught at a party. Yeah, at a party. <laughs> right. Drinking beer or something or smoking pot or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he should have not never played on it. I mean, I feel sorry for him. Maybe. Um, it's 
I I agree with everybody else. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks. I mean, I don't I don't feel sorry for him. I I, I feel sorry for the delivery driver that had a gun stuck in his face as part of the robbery. I I feel sorry for the people who um for the woman who who got carjacked by this you know gang of thugs that was out there. I mean, I, that's who I'm going to feel sorry for. Not some you know basketball player who you know I- engages in in this type of behavior. And again, I I mean, I think you have you either have standards or you. You don't. You either say that character matters or or it doesn't. And um, I, I think this is one. It's easy. This is an easy one for parents and school administrators to get behind moving forward to simply say, look, if you get convicted of a felony and if you want to narrow it down, felony crime of violence. Boom. You you are done. Here's a text. I coach high school athletics for 23 years. Um, two sports a year, and I'm 100% with you, Jeff. There is no need for individuals who are convicted felons to be playing high school athletics. I am certain that the Board of Control, who's elected by member schools, will most certainly be addressing this issue this summer. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's it. So let's let's move forward and avoid this particular issue, and hopefully it won't come up, but hopefully maybe maybe the message it sends is to the kids who are really good ball players. Maybe it sends a message that if you want to get that high school scholarship or something, then don't go out with a bunch of people and stick a gun in somebody's face. Just saying. 159, Jeff Wagner. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, this is a true story. Saturday morning. I'm driving down the street. I am behind. I am behind this big old car, and, and all you see is like two hands and a little blue head. Okay, behind you know, it just plenty of looking. It, it was a little old lady driving this this big, big old car. The, the left, the left. I'm, I'm not making this up. The left turn signal is going. Okay. She's in the right lane, but the left turn signal is going. It's like two lanes, so I'm figuring she wants to to, to go, which is fine because I, I want to stay in the right lane. Left turn signal is going, and all of a sudden, and, and she's going 15 miles an hour below the speed limit, so it's like a, she's going 20, like in a 35, in the right lane, big old car. All you see the, is the hands and the little blue hair. The left turn signal is on. I swear to God, she makes a right turn. <laughs> She, she makes a right turn and ducks into this shopping center, and I'm, I, I just I slam on the brakes, you know, because I mean I I don't I think she, I'm thinking, you know, I I, I don't want to die on Port Washington Road, smashing into the back of of this car. I mean, this is not how I this is not how I I choose to go, which of course brings me to mind of, and there's a very serious topic we're gonna get to in a moment, and I apologize in advance because I'm about to plant an earworm. In your ear, um, but but to kind of lead into this topic, there's no better way to do it than uh, the the great Reverend Billy Seawards. Look out! Look out! Grandma's behind the wheel. Watch out! Grandma's behind the wheel. Looking for 880 South and the big long automobile. 
She's bobbing and weaving like she's been drinking. Got Arizona plates on a late model Lincoln. Stopping on a green light and going on the red. And all you see is two hands and that little blue head. Look out, look out. Grandma's taking the wheel. Right down the road in the big long automobile. Get a groove. Here we go. Help me drive, Granny. Drive. Everybody sing it. Sound good. Drive, Granny. Drive. Come on now. If you really want to make it good, you don't have to. But if you really want to make it good, get real ignorant with it when you say. Okay, so here. Okay, so I mean, and honest, I, I, I was living, I was living that on on Saturday. I'm thinking, oh my goodness gracious, because again, the, the left turn signal's on. We're making the right turn, and I, and, 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 and it's fine. But but this does kind of segue into something, and I know, Gru, I'm going to give you my producer, give you some warning because whenever we go down this route, it, it becomes an issue. Story over the weekend, a study shows Wisconsin has the highest rate for fatal crashes involving elderly drivers in the country. 26% of fatal crashes in Wisconsin in 2016 involved someone 65 or older. That's despite the state having a lower percentage of older drivers compared to many states. Um, this becomes, I mean, a, a serious, you know, issue because... Eh, one of the realities is people get older, you travel fewer miles. I mean, younger people tend to drive more. So you have more and more. And the, the, rea- the other reality is we are aging as a population. We are getting older. And more and more of us are, of course, with advances in medical science. We're living longer. We're healthier. You know, we're, we're out there. It is estimated that by 2040, nearly a quarter of Wisconsin's population will be 65 or older. So, you know, you do have this shift that is going on. But at the same time, despite the fact that you have drivers that are driving fewer miles, you have more and more of the older drivers who are involved in the fatalities. Now, if you look at a lot of statistics, what you will see is on a per-mile basis, the worst drivers are the youngest drivers because they just don't have the experience, don't have the judgment. And then it's the oldest drivers because as much as we want to pretend, as we get older, our reflexes go down, our eyesight deteriorates, we don't hear as well, it's tougher to you know turn and rotate. Your, it's just it's some of the inevitable consequences of aging. Now, the thing that the story in the study doesn't talk about is that in Wisconsin, you can renew your driver's license. You can essentially go for eight years if you do not have a collision. You can go for eight years without having a vision test or a hearing test or road test. So let's say you're 78 years old. You go in, your license comes due, you go into the DMV, you got to stand there, you got to get your new picture taken, you do the eye test and you do your peripheral vision things and all, you get that license issued. It's good for four years, but you can simply, you know, when it comes due after four years, you can just send in whatever the fee is and you automatically get it renewed. So it's eight years before anybody checks on you. And with all due respect, and look, I mean, I'm now getting to that point where I'm <laughs> I'm getting closer to you know seventy than I am to forty. <laughs> and so I mean I understand I'm going to be talking about myself in a little bit as well. 
but I mean, I just noticed myself. I, I don't, my eyesight isn't quite as good as it was 25 years ago. I mean, it's, it's just not. I, I don't think my reflexes are as sharp, that type of stuff. And my guess is, even though I hope it's not the case, it is only going to get worse as time goes on. So one segment, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, whenever I go down this route, I always get Hades email. So some people, um, you know, don't, don't like to hear this. But I, I think I have never advocated, and I don't, taking people's driver's licenses away at a certain age. I, I don't think that that's appropriate because I will tell you, I had a friend who um, passed away a couple of years ago, um, about a year ago, year and a half ago, and he was he was driving just fine, mentally sharp, was just absolutely fine. What I have advocated, though, is I think after a certain age, and I don't know if it's 70 or 75, I don't know what that age is, I think that you need to have, and you should have to have, periodic vision tests, hearing tests, and maybe even road tests. And I've always believed that that's something, I mean, look, there, there's nothing worse for, you know, if, if, you, if you've been through this with like an aging parent, you know, and, and dad doesn't want to give up his driver's license. You know, that's the sense of freedom. And you know dad shouldn't be out on the road. You won't ride with dad. And so, you know, that means that dad probably shouldn't be out on the road. You know, but you can't get him to give up the driver's license. I think this is one where the state needs to step in and say, look, we're going to have additional requirements on people beyond whatever that age might be, not to take the driver's licenses away, but to make sure that they're not a hazard on the roadways. Is this unreasonable? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, you, you have this study. 26% of fatal crashes in Wisconsin involve somebody 65 or older. That tells me that older people are getting involved in more serious accidents. And it doesn't always mean that it's their fault, but it, that's just the undeniable effect. I think we've got to, we have to put restrictions, I think, beyond a certain point, just to make sure that people can still see and can still hear and are still with it enough to be behind the wheel of a car. And when I say that, I understand that there's all sorts of bad younger drivers and there's drunk middle-aged drivers, and I'm all, I'm deaf on trying to crack down on those as well. But is it unreasonable to say, all right, let's put some restrictions once you hit a certain age? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, text line. Jeff, you're correct. We need reasonable checkpoints for older drivers' ability. Um, uh, let's see. I had my brand-new Miata totaled with my 10-year-old son in the car on Blue Mound Road. An 85-year-old man turned left um, in the right lane in front of us as we were going through the, the intersection. Um, another text here. My own grandfather was scary to ride with as an 80s. It's just a fact of life. Yeah, that's – and see, and any of us who've who've been there – I mean, I've told this story on the radio before. My mom, before she passed away, she, she got sick, and, and she knew that she couldn't drive. She she surrendered her car keys. She knew she couldn't drive. Um, my father 
it, it was kind of a different story. I mean, my father would say to my brother and I, oh, I just feel terrible. I can't concentrate. I can't do anything. I can't see, can't do this. I mean, it's just terrible. And I'd say, okay, well, Dad, maybe it's time to give the keys up. Oh, no, no, no. That The only time I feel alert is when I'm behind the wheel. And he's, oh, my God. Um, you know, and so, but it was a struggle. And I don't think I was the only, I don't think my brother and I are the only people that went, you know, through something like that. And I think this is one where the state could help out families a lot simply by saying, okay, don't put the burden on, on us to deal with, you know, the aging relatives issue. Here, just, just have a check. Every two years, go into the DMV and prove that you can drive. Is that unreasonable? Armando in Green Bay, you're on WTMJ. Uh, I agree with you, but I'm wondering what the percentage of rural versus urban elderly people, mm-hmm. because a lot of people who are elderly in rural areas, that's the only way they can get to grocery stores or to the doctor. Okay, but let, let's work. Let, let's work with this. Let's assume, for the sake of argument, Armando, that you have somebody who shouldn't be driving. They can't see, they can't, whatever, you know, they, they're just, they shouldn't be driving. Well, I, I guess I don't, I don't think we're doing them a favor by letting them, and I don't think we're doing anybody a favor by letting them renew their license and stay on the road, whether they live in Seymour or whether they live in Milwaukee. I mean, if it's unsafe to be on the road, it's unsafe to be on the road. Right, you're right. But then how, I mean, we don't, in, in the rural areas, you don't have the resources like in the city. Right. Where people... And sit there and pick you up. You know they have a senior center. Mm-hmm. If you got a lot of farm people out in the country, there's no way in that they're going to get what they need to get to. So you have to go beyond. All right. Yeah, I agree with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's all I'm saying. I mean, right. Well, I mean, maybe. Thanks for. I mean, maybe that's a call for. You know, more, more of the, you know, the, the localized kind of tra- transport or, you know, the mass transit and that type of thing. I mean, I, I understand that it's, it's a problem, but I guess I start from the basic premise that if you rural area or urban area, if you have somebody who can't see or can't hear or for whatever, whatever reason shouldn't be on the road. All right. Um, we're not doing anybody a favor by saying, okay, well, that person has trouble getting to church or whatever, so let's let them drive even though it's unsafe for everybody to drive. That, I guess that's that, that's where I start, and then everything else maybe falls into place. Emily in Waukesha. Emily, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Emily. I 100% agree with you, and actually my family and I were just having this uh, conversation about having elderly at a certain age point be tested and not just the eye test, not just your regular yeah. DMV test, but having them go and take at the driving test. Um, my husband's grandmother had a stroke and she lost her right side peripheral vision and yet she still drives. Um, mm-hmm. Even though we've all tried to take these away, I mean, it comes, it, it, it's really an independency thing. Sure, sure. Well, exactly. I mean, I got my driver's license, Emily, the day I turned 16. And I, I remember that sense of freedom that, that it has. I mean, I, I, I understand all that, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going through this. I mean, your, your relative, she shouldn't be on the road, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, we all try to, you know, reason with her, but it's, you know, she still goes and she says she only takes right hand turns. <laughs> 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 not, not too much if you can't see uh, out well, of uh, your peripheral 
Bishop. Well, no, and, and we all, you know, and, and you, you know, you, you, you kind of chuckle about it to an extent, but the, the last thing you want is for your family member to hurt themselves or, God forbid, your family member hurts somebody else, you know, because, you know, you, you can't see or, or whatever or you don't hear, and so you make that that make you don't pick up the fact that it's a red light and you make the turn and you hit some kid or and that's that's the nightmare for everybody i think that it's not just that you, you and and it's just so tough to get people to surrender their car keys when they shouldn't be driving absolutely 100% agree yeah no thanks for and again I, and i'm not i want to be again real clear here i i am not saying that there should be an age limit for driving but we have we have graduated licenses now when it comes to you know, young people, you know, you get your driver's license now at 16. It, it's, you know, there's all sorts of limits as to when you can drive and how many kids you can have in the car with you and things like that. And I think that makes sense. All I'm saying on the flip side is, okay, and, and this, again, this is, while I'm not there yet, this is something that's going to be, you know, whether you say it's like 70 or 75 or whatever, at whatever point statistics say you bring that in, I don't think it's an unreasonable thing. Now, will the politicians do it? No, because it will be perceived as being, okay, against senior citizens, and you don't want to revolt. Last thing you want to do is irritate senior citizens if you're running for office. But I just think it's a public safety matter. Just saying. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, Grew, come on a minute. You've got... Look out, look out, Grandma's behind the wheel. That's that's bouncing through your head right now, isn't it? It's bouncing through mine, too. Yep. <laughs> it's, we have planted those earworms firmly. You're, you're very welcome. A Trump-affiliated firm is now under scrutiny for inappropriately obtaining data from 50 million Facebook users. What does this mean for you? Gene Miller has the latest at 7.51 a.m. tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Tune in. Uh, Gene does a fine job. All right, let me let me introduce this topic before we go to Belinda's News. Headline in, um, well, th- this was in the Kansas City Star. Here's the headline. She's 15 and married. What's the point of making her wait, mom says. Most states say that you can get married at the age of 16 as long as you have a judge's okay. All right? With the blessing of the parents. In Missouri. The state has the most lenient law in the nation. Fifteen, You can get married at the age of 15 as long as you have one parent sign. So you need one of your two parents to sign. And it's the story of this young woman. Her name is Sammy. She's 15. She's married to Dylan. Dylan is 17. They met, well, uh, Sammy was, was homeschooled. That's, she's the woman. She's not pregnant. Not, not pregnant. Everybody figured you got pregnant. No, she's not pregnant. Um, Dylan, um, just left for eight weeks of Navy basic training. Um, and the plan is they hope that she's gonna, you know, once he gets his assignment, she's going to join him. Um, the story is about how they're, they're living in the attic of her, her mother's house, you know, right now. You know, while he's doing his basic training stuff and all, um, over, over like one of the weekends, they went to see an R-rated movie. They weren't allowed into the R-rated movie because you had to be 17. But but they got married at 15. And the story is that the, the mom um, says, hey, look, they're in love. But what difference does does this make? Why should they have to wait? 
All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, should there should there be age limits on when when you can marry? Missouri says 15 years old as long as it is okay with one parent. Is that a recipe for disaster? 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, how young is too young? A huge story over the weekend uh, syndicated in a number of the papers. Um, Missouri has the, the nation's most lenient law regarding child marriages. Most states, um, you, you can get married at the age of 16, but you need like a judge to sign off on it along with the parents. In Missouri, you can get married at the age of 15 as long as one of, of each of the sets of parents agrees to this. So um, it's a story about this girl. Her name is Sammy. She gets married. She got married at the age of 15. Her her husband now, 17, just joined the Navy. And this, I guess the question is, in Missouri, they were thinking about changing the law, couldn't get enough votes to do it. The argument is, well, is this an unreasonable government interference? If Is, is 15 old enough to get married? 414-799-1620. Deb in West Bend. Deb, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Deb. I'm confused because, I mean, I don't. First of all, I don't understand what states. You know why every state is different, or I don't know how many states is this. Mm-hmm. But you know when this last happened with this this man that um, that was with a 16 year old girl and went away, and he's married and so forth. Okay, he's in he's in jail, or they caught him, or whatever. And then and then you're you can't drink at the age of 18 or 21 mm-hmm. uh, where where is the boundary set or something like that and no the government shouldn't be in charge of this it should be this is what it is well, I mean, let, well let me stop you there then so if if the girl was 12 and she wanted to get married and the parent one of the parents said it was okay would that be okay no 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 okay. because i i feel that they're just Doing it out of like, oh, this, you know, I don't like some. Te- I don't know. Well, no, th- no, I mean, I, I, yeah, thanks for calling. I mean, it's okay. I, I mean, I look, I, I understand individual freedom, and I, I'm one of these guys that doesn't believe in, in overregulation. But, gee, getting married at the age of 15, what could go wrong with that? Now, I understand that that maybe, you know, maybe there is a situation where. All right, maybe you know your great grandmother got married at the age of fifteen, and you know, and it, and it worked out fine, and they stayed married for sixty-five years. And 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 I understand that there are circumstances, maybe there where that happens, but at, at the risk of going too far out on a limb here, I don't think it is a good idea for somebody to get married at the age of fifteen. I think it is a recipe for disaster, and I I think that you know any any parent that would sign off on having their daughter get married at the age of 15 has a screw loose. And I, I, if that's overly harsh, that that's fine. But, you know, this is the, the truth of the matter is, at the age of 15, you are, are just, you, you do not have the mental or emotional maturity, in my opinion, to make the decision to get married. Now, I understand you can get pregnant at 15, you can be an unwed mother at the age of 15, you know, and I, I get all that. But for this... Marriage is something that is sanctioned by the state, and, and I think the state has 
every right to put certain limits on that. And 15 just strikes me as too young to make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to commit to spending my entire you know life with you. And, and what maybe this will work out. Okay, but the 17-year-old husband, he's going into the Navy. You know, what What are the chances that this thing is going to be a success? I mean, seriously. Guy in the Heartland. Guy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, I, I agree it's uh, ridiculous. But the main reason I, I agree is that uh, we can – our women can get married at 16 in Wisconsin. Yes. With the parents. 16. Right, yep. Uh that's ridiculous also. The the fact is we don't raise our kids. They're not growing up by that time. Years ago, kids were uh Well, yeah, I mean years ago when when years old. Yeah. When when we were I mean that's thanks for call. I mean when look, I, I okay, I, I understand that there might have been a point in our history, particularly in, in more rural areas where you know, you, you had bigger families and, you know, you, you had, you know, people that got married at a much younger age. And, and I understand that much of that stuff worked. I just think it's just it's just bad policy. I mean, we have we have statutory rape laws. You know, we, we say you, you can't consent below a, a certain, you know, below a certain age. And I mean, I, I understand if you're married. OK, it's it's not it's not rape. But but the idea is, you know, we, we make a policy judgment that, you know, below certain ages, you, you can't sign contracts because, you know, you're, you're not able, even with the blessing of your parents, you're not able to fully appreciate the significance of this type of stuff. And again, I just I shake my head when I hear when I'm and this and this story goes on for 15 pages. I'm reading the story about the, the girl's parents who say, well, you know, we, we got married when we were older. I mean, we. We waited till um you know um we, we were in our late twenties you know okay well um you know I it's just I, I look at something like this and I, I think the I mean the reality is it's the the odds are probably not with them now again if you say to me well Jeff at least they got married you know isn't that better than them becoming sexually active and she gets pregnant and he goes off in the navy um well okay but as a policy matter. I mean, age of 15, it's just like I say, I, I just I shake my head and say, what could possibly go wrong with something like that? Richard in Menominee Falls. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Richard. What do you yeah. think? I say no marriage to anybody under the age of 18. I was married in 1969. I was in the Navy. I was 21. My wife was 20. And when she went to get the marriage license, because I was not able to come up and get it with her at that time. She had to have her parents with her because she was under the age of 21. Right. And so I feel that the state, this state recognizes that if you're under, let's say under 21, that you're not, you're not mature enough to be married. And that's the way I feel personally myself. Well, and, and again, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I, I understand that there are success stories. There are there are people who um, I don't know marry. Let's take females. There 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 are there are women who you know married their high school sweetheart. You know somebody that they met when they were twelve or thirteen years old. And whether they get married at fifteen or eighteen or nineteen or whatever, they, they've had they've wonderful fifty years together. I understand that that happens, and, and that's that's great when it does. 
But let's face it, that's that's going to be, I think, the exception to the rule, especially, you know, moving forward. So I, I just I, – this this is not a law whose idea has, has come. I, I am just imagining down in Missouri, like the, the clerk of courts, you know, how you deal with these different types of things. Okay, I'm 15 years old, and here, here's mom, and she's signing this off. You wonder if the clerk of courts think – Really? Do you, do you know what you're supposed to do? Just saying. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I was just thinking about clerks and, and marriage license. I told this story once before when um, Fran and I went in to, to get our marriage license. We got it, we got it up in, um, uh, uh, we got it in West Bend, so Washington County. And you have to, you have to sit there and you go in front of the clerk and they, you have to fill out this form and they ask you all sorts of different questions. So as you're sitting there, you know, that it's this like checklist that they have. And, and one of the questions in Wisconsin is, are you cousins? You know, and because as as a general rule, cousins are not allowed to marry. Now, there's exceptions for that, but they ask if you're cousins. And I admit to being kind of taken back by that question. And because I am who I am and I have this inquiring mind, the, the woman, you know, she's going through this. And I think she's just used to everybody saying no, no, no. And so I said to her, I said, wait, let me stop you there. And of course... My wife-to-be is now looking at me like, okay, <clears throat> here we go. We're going. I don't know where he's taking this, but I've seen this movie before. You know, so she, the lady at the end, are, are you cousins? And, I'm, and I said, I'm curious. <laughs> Does anybody ever say yes? <laughs> and then she says, the, 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 the clerk at West Bend says, we hope not. <laughs> you know, we just, we hope not because then we have to start asking all these other questions which determine you know, I mean, I, I forget I'd looked at the state law at the time because I was intrigued by this, but it was like, okay, there are certain circumstances where cousins can marry, like if the woman's beyond the childbearing years or whatever. But you have to ask all these sort of intrusive questions. And it's just like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure every time they're going through the checklist when they come, are you two cousins? I'm sure it's just like, oh, for God's sake, I hope they just say no. But it, actually, the woman said, well, it it never happened to me, but one of my coworkers did, and so so I, I said, no, well, we're 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 not cousins. I guarantee you that. But we, I was just kind of curious, and of course, my wife to be is just shaking her head, going, I'm getting, I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm going to marry this guy who thinks this is like clever. I wasn't just, I thought it was clever. I just thought it was, I was intrigued by this whole concept, you know, of of this, and I'm sure, you know, 15 years old, that would be sort of the same thing. All right. Um, I tell you what, I, I wanted to talk about truthfulness in the president, but I think I'm going to save that for tomorrow's show because um, John McCure is coming in in just a couple minutes. I, I did want to, you know, highlight something. Um, two weeks from tomorrow is a very important statewide race. I mean, it's the nonpartisan, you know, it's, it's the April nonpartisan elections. Um, there is an election that each of us can vote for, and it's an important one. It's for the state Supreme Court. Right now, you have five conservatives on the state Supreme Court and two screaming liberals, two screaming liberals. One of the five conservative justices, Michael Gableman, is is retiring. And candidly, if it were not for a conservative majority on the Supreme Court, we would essentially be ruled by the Dane County Circuit Court, these liberal judges in Dane County who one after another struck down things like Act 10 and voter ID and all these types of things. There are two candidates that are going to be on the ballot. One is Michael Skrenick. He's a Sauk County judge. He's going to join me at Insight um, on March 28th. Um, he is the conservative law and order candidate. Then there is Milwaukee County Judge Rebecca Dallet, who has, I mean, really shown her true colors during this campaign. 
she's way, way out there to the left and has decided, I mean, actually, I look at this campaign that she's running, she should be running for governor. I mean, it's like, I don't like Scott Walker on this and that and the other thing. Well, she should be running for governor, not for Supreme Court justice. And she's really been been bringing in, or people, that the, the liberal elite have been coming into this state on her behalf. Eric Holder, former Obama attorney general, who, in my opinion, is the worst uh, unindicted attorney general in American history. You know, he was in last, late last week campaigning for Dalit. I, I saw Cory Booker, who's one of the big time lefty U.S. senators. He's now endorsed Dalit. She, I mean, she's making no bones about it, at least in my opinion. You know, she is running on a political agenda that she wants to bring to the Supreme Court. Typically, that doesn't get liberals elected. Typically, the people of Wisconsin want conservative, law and order justices on the Supreme Court. I think Dalit is figuring this is the year, you know, you've got the Democrats, you've got liberals that are enthused, you've got conservatives that are maybe a little bit demoralized, so maybe they're going to stay home. Maybe this is the year that you can get this liberal that sneaks in onto the Supreme Court bench. I hope, hope, hope that does not happen. And that's why over the course of the next two weeks and one day, we're going to be talking a lot about this race. But there is a very, very clear choice that everybody is going to have two weeks from tomorrow. Do you want a conservative law and order justice who believes in the separation of powers and doesn't see his role as being somebody to, I don't know, decide, gee, do I like this policy or not? But rather, you know, is it legal and should I uphold it versus, gee, I don't like Governor Walker and I don't like President Trump and um, I'm going to use my position on the Supreme Court to, I don't know, rein in policies that I don't like, which is very, very dangerous to have somebody who apparently thinks that way on the state Supreme Court. So we'll be talking a lot about that race. Um, if you come to Insight 2018, Judge Skrenik, um, the conservative uh, candidate for Supreme Court justice, will be there, and you can hear about his philosophy. We'll also replay that the following day on WTMJ. It's 2.54. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.